Voice of the Black and Amber, Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Jadwick's Kilkenny and Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM for Top Class Sport. Well, you're very welcome to TalkSport on Community Radio Kilkenny City on Sunday the 7th of February. We're just gone six minutes past six here on Sunday evening. And uh, we haven't a lot on the programme this evening in the sense that we have no guests lined up other than, well, we have one lined up, but whether he'll turn up or not, we're not sure. I had Joe Raleigh lined up and uh, he doesn't seem to be making any uh, answering the phone, so we'll see. But we all, as always, we have a plan B for that. Well, in rugby, it was a terrible day for Ireland. They lost two uh, Wales. They lost 21-6. And now I know they had uh, Peter Romani sent off in the first half, which didn't help their cause, of course. But nevertheless, there'll be much head-scratching about it, particularly at the end when they had an opportunity of kicking the ball into the corner for a, a line ball and their throw-in, which would have given them a possibility of a try. Didn't happen. The ball went elsewhere. So I'm sure that's going to perhaps dominate the headlines. In other rugby yesterday, France had a big win, 50-10 over Italy. And Scotland, for the first time in 38 years, defeated England at uh, Twickenham, 11-6. So the Scots were certainly on a high uh, yesterday. So Ireland have uh, France next week. So lots of post-mortems on that game. Liam Kelly O'Rourke will be with us later with the Premiership and other sports. But looking at the game here now, I had an oath here I wrote earlier. Is the Premiership over? I think it is now. Manchester City need three goals to one. And I doubt if Alison Becker would have the gall to accept any wages this week because he's after making two of the most horrendous howlers in goal that one would see in a long time. And uh, we might talk about that later to some of our guests. It's Super Bowl night. Are you going to stay up to watch the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are playing on their home patch? That's just as the look of the draw. The venue was picked well at the start of the year or even two years ago. They're taking on the reigning champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Tom Brady versus Pat Patrick Mahomes. They, they're the two big stars of, the, of either team. Uh, Brady, 43 years of age, trying to win a Super Bowl for, with his second team having done so well for so often with the Patriots. Horse racing, Bear will be with us uh, probably after about 25 past six this evening, Bear, and uh, he will have all the results from Leopardstown, where Willie Mullins, I think, had nine winners over the weekend, five today, and a big winner for Paul Hennessy as well, a race that, uh, uh, reading our own guys on uh, the WhatsApp group, the race was in memory of um, the late Paddy Mullins, and I think it was an emotional one for Paul Hennessy. We will talk to Bear about that. And, of course, we'll have our soapbox items and others other news as well and it's with the sports the soapbox items that we actually start today and we were going to give a good session to Joe Brawley if he turns up at half six so we're starting with the um the soapbox today and we're given uh, pride of place to Barry and Barry as you know has been uh, a big fan of boxing all his life uh, mainly that's because he was been outside of Ireland I suppose he got the opportunity in the States and in Britain to watch some of the greatest uh, people who boxed in the ring and he did a bit of boxing himself but as you'll hear in a minute it didn't go too well but here's Barry's take on his uh, boxing uh, interest I was so very sad to hear and read last week about one of my greatest schoolboy heroes who had passed away peacefully his name would be familiar to many in Kilkenny when I say Harry Perry more about Harry Perry later my second favourite sport is boxing and you have to forgive me if I speak in past tense I do so because I could not name the present world cruiserweight or flyweight or lightweight or weight champion I could because like many sports that has been contaminated by power crazy money grabbing moguls 
whose mantra centres around making money without a whit of interest in promoting the ethics and qualities of the noble art of the sport. I loved boxing from the start, and the start was in the CYMS Hall in Port Arlington, where we had come to live back in the days from Chum. I was 11 years old before my mum allowed me to go to train in the noble art of self-preservation. We had a trainer, Tony Coleman. All the lads at the club played football for Port. They ran cross-country for the Port Turlington Athletics Club. Many ran at sports meetings as well. I myself took up to pole vaulting, imagine. The pole provided by the club was the pole that held the sides of a canvas tent upright with the spike at one end of the solid ash pole. We all won and we all lost as many of the disciplines, but we loved the opportunity afforded. But back to boxing. As I said, our trainer was Tony Coleman, endearingly known as the Thatcher. The Thatcher trained us to box. He was the trainer of the cross country and athletics club. He played in the forwards on the senior football team. He won a few league senior football championships in the 1950s. I was on the same half forward line with him when we won the 1959 county senior title, beating all-conquering Port Leash. I boxed for the club in the Leash Carlo Kilkenny Championship, which were big at the time. I boxed as a juvenile. I boxed in the Leinster Schoolboys Championships from 1954 to 1958. We all boxed in inter-club tournaments. I boxed a lad, Stone in Inchicore in Dublin one Friday night in the Leinster. He was a bit bigger than me, but I had quicker hands and better feet. But I had a problem. He was a southpaw, and Thatcher never thought of training against a southpaw. The Thatcher had his own idiosyncratic way of training. Some were fairly orthodox, but others left a lot to be desired. Many of the lads he was training worshipped at the altar of the Thatcher Coleman's training regime. They did everything he said. Being a boxer himself, he had a terrible habit of snorting before he delivered a punch. He used to go before and then let off a shot. His opponent invariably had him nailed before the Thatcher could connect. And the Thatcher might as well have sent him a telegram. When he got beaten, he just couldn't understand how his opponent could hit him with such increasing regularity. Back to Inchy Core, my lad in the third round, he led with a right jab. Uh, that was in the last round. And he quickly followed it up with a left hook. It was good night, nurse, as Barry hit the deck and total oblivion. First and only time I was ever knocked out. Boxing in those days was very much an amateur game with a huge national interest. It featured on RT on a Friday nights with Eamon Andrews originally and his brother Noel subsequently commentating. Well, I remember the first radio coverage of the Olympics I heard in 1952. Ireland had eight boxers fancied, some of them were fancied, going on the trip. Tommy and Andy Reddy were fancied, as was Terry Milligan. John McNally from the Don Bosco Club in Belfast was not rated, having come out of the junior ranks the previous year. McNally confounded all by qualifying for the bantamweight final against a homeboy from Finland. The young McNally gave an exhibition as we listened to the passion of Eamon. Home and hose we felt at home in one of the universally acceptable worst hometown decisions. McNally lost on a split decision. But young McNally's breakthrough had staked a claim for Irish boxing among the elite of the boxing world. And then came 1956 in Melbourne. Oh, glorious Melbourne, I say. It would be a commonly held opinion that amateur boxing blossomed in Ireland from Melbourne. The Irish team included a young student from Dublin studying in Villanova called Ronnie Delaney. We had a wrestler too called Jerry Martina. 
and a lady sprinter born in Kilkenny called Mae Kyle. She was also an Irish international hockey player for years. She was to represent Ireland in subsequent Olympics in Rome and Tokyo. The three Olympics on the bounce. Our boxers returned with a bag of medals. Certainly the most successful boxing team of any age from many a long day. Johnny Caldwell from Belfast. He was flyweight. Tony Soxburn, known as Sox. He came from Drogheda. He was a lightweight. Freddie Gilroy, bantamweight from Belfast. They all collected bronze medals. Freddie Teat from Dublin. He won a silver medal at welterweight. With four boxing medals and a Delaney gold in the Blue Ribbon 1500 metres final, the Irish team returned from the other side of the world with an unprecedented number of Olympic medals surpassed by the medal hall in London over a half a century later. A succession of medal-winning Olympians gilded what was already a very healthy sporting culture in the country, the noble art of boxing. Every young lad in the country knew Caldwell, they knew Gilroy, they knew Teat, they knew Sox for sure, and the boyish Perry. When any visiting countries came to town, that's Dublin, everybody was certain that Ireland would win the first five weights. Perry was just 17 years of age when he first won the Irish senior welterweight title. As champion, he was entitled to go to the Helsinki Olympics, but the boxing board didn't send him as they felt he was too young and felt he could get hurt. But he went to Melbourne and Rome, but he was asked to box at a higher weight to facilitate Freddie Teat boxing at the welterweight division. Even though Perry had beaten Freddie in a box-off for the welter spot on the team, but Harry Perry was a prolific winner for Ireland winning many Irish and European titles. His altar boy innocent features endeared him to his Irish following, but especially to Irish mammies. Amateur boxing blossomed. Our boxers were always main medal hopes at European Olympic levels. Names like Huey Russell and Jimmy McCourt, the brilliant Michael Gold Carruth, McCullough, Maxi McCullough, Kenny Silver Egan, Paddy Barnes, who got two bronze medals at two subsequent Olympics. Michael Conlon, he got a bronze, and the never-to-be-forgotten executioner with the modesty of an archangel and the striking instincts of a King Cobra, Katie Taylor. Not surprisingly then why boxing, the amateur brand that is, was such a popular sporting alternative for many youngsters. In recent conversations with two of Kilkenny's boxing gurus, Ollie O'Neill and Jimmy Walsh, Jimmy Walsh from Callum, Ollie O'Neill from Portstown, Ollie waxed lyrical about the boxing traditions of the black and amber. Our boxing, said Ollie, our boxing tradition in this county would rival that of our hurling tradition with many. Like the hurling, there have been many families who have been involved over the years, and that's the thing about boxing locally. If one comes to the club, you can bet that others from the same family will follow. It is that kind of sport. We've had tremendous families involved in our club for years. My own family, of course, has contributed three generations to the game. The Lawlers, Kinslers, the Dormers, to mention a few, made a tremendous contribution. Ben and Ger Lawler won Irish senior titles. You remember, Nicky, Ger Lawler was a terrific hurler with Borough Rangers and he also played with Kilkenny. Tony, Dick and Mick Kinsler bagged provincial and Irish senior titles. 
Irish titles came in the door of the Dormer household as well and in fact Pat defeated Olympic silver medalist Kenny Egan in a bout before Egan's Olympic success but then I prompted I suppose modesty prevents you from singing the praises of your own clan with the aforementioned modesty Ollie smiled ah sure we won a few titles Darren I prompted won more than a few how many he won 17 Irish titles overall Four boys, two junior, three under 21 and seven senior. Were his adult titles, says I, all at the same weight, which I knew they weren't. He won four middleweight titles and three heavyweight titles. Darren O'Neill won European gold and European silver. He won world silver. As captain, he carried the Irish flag into the London Olympics. He wore the green singlet on over 150 occasions and there were very few world destinations that he didn't endorse with his superb boxing skills. A credit indeed to the amateur game of boxing, the purest form of the noble art. I met with Jimmy Walsh. Now try stopping him talking about boxing. Jimmy boxed everywhere at Challenge Presented. With his brother-in-law Johnny Donovan, they fought at fairground boxing booths in England before the war. They fought all over the country on their return from war tour in England. Johnny won an Irish junior title and wore the green singlet of his country. Johnny was the first winner of a new amateur division called Lightweight. He was boxing out of the Freshford Club at the time. Taking Jimmy back in time, a long time, he speaks in glowing terms of the likes of the Batemans, Shawnee, Jimmy and Bisto, Tony Coyne, all in Kilkenny, Father Walsh, the godfather of St. Patrick's Club in Kilkenny, he started it, Joe and Des Hare, and especially the Dowlings from Castlecomer. He spoke of an open-air tournament on the Fair Green in Callan, where Joe Hare fought Bill Fitzgerald of Callan. Shades of the Gentleman Jim Corbett, going back a bit before your time, Nicky. Shades of the Gentleman Jim Corbett boxing on a raft in the middle of the Mississippi River in New Orleans for the world title against John L. Sullivan, whom he knocked out in the 21st round. Whilst the Corbett-Sullivan fight took place in 1992, Jimmy Walsh was talking to me about 1946 on the Fair Green and Callan. And on and on he went. Captivating stuff that will be revisited. You can take bets on that one. Getting closer to home, he spoke of his own beloved Callan, B.C. That's not before Christ. That means... Actually, you know what that means. Jimmy had a checkered career in boxing. He loved it. Wherever there was a challenge, Jimmy Walsh was the man. Fighting as a light middleweight, he had patrons jumping out of their seats in Carrick as he represented Ireland against the English selection, hammering the South of England champion into submission, much to the blood-curdling delight of the locals. In the Mayfair on a St. Patrick's presentation, he boxed Irish champion Gussie Farrell in an exhibition. The crowd again marvelled at the Callaman's durability. He boxed another English boxer, Freddie North, in a later tournament in Carrick. Jimmy suffered two cuts. The referee intimated that he would call it off. Jesus reps and Jimmy don't call it off. The Englishman's corner were very vociferous, telling their man to push Jimmy back. Push him back, they said, to which North replied, you come into the friggin' ring and try it. But that was Jimmy. When his boxing was over, he applied himself to reorganise the Cannon Boxing Club. With interest of the Egan family, Joe Morris, Spider Kelly, Joe Fanning and others, the club got going. Initially in the Friary Hall, Johnny Donovan and Jimmy were very prominent. Jimmy acknowledges the tremendous help he got from Ollie O'Neill and Dr. Jim Ryan. Jamie Coogan from the Comer Club weighed in with advice and equipment for Jimmy's club. Over the years, Jimmy reckons 
that the club has won 37 Irish titles but pride of place must go to his female protege, Claire Grace, who won seven elite Irish titles before study and career intervened. Claire is now a radiographer in Limerick, but her heart will always be with her Callum Boxing Club and the mentor to whom she owes so much. We will visit the other Kilkenny Boxing Clubs at a later date. The game is still bubbling with tremendous interest in the Marvel City with no show at the helm. Muckley Como with Paddy Doric Brennan. Gron has a boxing club. Pressure has two under Sid Martin. But amateur boxing, the real boxing, is still alive and well in Kilkenny. Well, there's a man that knows his boxing, recalling the great clubs in Kilkenny and, of course, some of his own experiences. And actually, on a day uh, where I've just noticed that Leon Spinks, he took Ali's crown and, uh, and then lost it some later. He died at 67. He scored one of the greatest upsets when he defeated Muhammad Ali uh, to capture the heavyweight championship in February 1978, but lost the crown in a rematch seven months later and never again found glory in the ring. And he died on Friday. He was only 67. Sadly, he was, uh, he was quite ill. Anyway, we'll take a break and we'll be back with... Uh, today's soccer roundup, which is not going to go down too well with Liam Kelly O'Rourke they're in the closing moments uh, the ref will blow the whistle any minute and just as I say that, he does that and City have won 4-1 so as Kenneth Walton Holmes said at the World Cup final between England and West Germany in 1966, they think it's all over, it is now The Voice of the Black and Amber Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM Chadwick's Kilkenny and Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM for Top Class Sport. Yes, you're very welcome back to Talk Sport 25 past 6. And as I said, going to Liam Kelly O'Rourke for all the uh, sport of the weekend. And I have no doubt what he's going to start with. And it's very painful. <laughs> Evening to you, Nicky. It's not a good day to be an Irish rugby supporting Liverpool fan. Uh, we'll start with that game at Anfield, as you were alluding to there. Liverpool going down to a 4-1 defeat at the hands of Manchester City. And really, it was in the final 30 minutes of the game when Manchester City pulled away. Because it was nil all at half-time and Manchester City took the lead uh, after just 49 minutes when Ilkay Gundogan um, rectified his mistake he missed a penalty uh, with uh, 8 minutes to go in the first half but he put the ball in the back of the net to give City the lead after 49 minutes it was one all when Mo Salah won a, a dubious enough penalty just past the hour mark and then City they ran riot in the final 20 minutes uh, Ilkay Gundogan getting his second goal of the game along with Raheem Sterling and Phil Foden all finding the target there so they go 10 clear of Liverpool who are now are in 4th with a game ha- game in hand on all their rivals so the, the, the mistakes by Alison Becker in the goal I happen to see them here in the yeah. studio I mean they are uh, sc- schoolboy stuff and that's that's being unfair to schoolboys <laughs> true Dickie yeah he's, they're a team not just Alison but they're a team you know without confidence at the moment and uh, I think that's rectified in that position I know Cueben Keller was playing uh, the other night so I mean, he, he maybe there's a lack of match fitness there, but uh, no, there's no excuses for a goalkeeper of his, at his level. And uh, I think Jurgen might be focusing on European uh, exploits in the uh, later this month because the league looks done and dusted. Well, apart from that, he's uh, he's hanging on to fourth place by a point from no. West Ham, so. Uh uh, he needs to be careful. He has a better goal difference, plus 15, better, instead of plus 6 for West Ham. But he needs to be watching it, because if he goes out of the top four, Jorgen might even be looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, and who would have thought that 12 months ago? Somehow I think the West Ham challenge will fall short and they'll hit a blip. But uh, it'll, it'll all depend on what sort of a lip, uh, blip Liverpool uh, have in the final months of the season. But it's not looking good. Um, Leicester City and Wolves drew nil all at Molyneux this afternoon Spurs threw goals from Son and Harry Kane who no doubt are delighted to see back in the starting 11 they beat West Brom 2-0 who's a 
uh, bid to avoid the drop is looking more and more ominous by the weekend and the final game comes later on this evening at 7.15 when bottom of the table Sheffield United take on Chelsea as I mentioned a bad day for the Irish rugby team as well they went down 21-16 at the hands of Wales at the Principality Stadium that's Wales' only fourth victory out of their last 11 games so disappointing but the game was turned uh, the turning point came on the 13th minute when Peter O'Mahony was given his marching orders and uh, a Tigburn penalty or Tigburn try I should say wasn't enough as Ireland suffered a five point defeat and uh, we have the Super Bowl this evening Nicky Super Bowl 51 the Chiefs are at the Buccaneers and that gets underway 11, at 11.30 this evening so you're bang up to date with the sport OK Liam we'll let you off thanks for that thanks Nicky OK that was Liam Kelly O'Rourke and here's Liam Kelly O'Rourke again on his soapbox this week it's the day of the Super Bowl just a few short hours until many young men women and children make the hot cocoa gather the sweets and sit up to watch one of the biggest games in the sporting calendar insignificant you may ask perhaps yes but when you dig a bit deeper it shows how a sports fans and people our tolerance and interests have changed dramatically the consumption of US sports in Ireland among others has become a game changer in the 20th century, the GAA and, and the Irish people almost had an inseparable bond, a love affair, if you will. As a nation, we were proud of our games and their ability to unite us. Other sports, such as soccer and rugby, featured, but the GAA led the way in terms of popularity. It was understandable. As a nation, we've been oppressed for hundreds of years. Protection of our games that symbolised our culture was imperative. They were simply more than games. They were a way of life. Fast forward 50 years and how the world has changed. Your wardrobe full of GA, soccer and NBA jerseys has become the norm. Imagine telling your grandfather that 50 years ago. Our sporting interests have also have broadened significantly. As people, we've changed. We don't have off switches. We work, work, work Monday to Friday. And come the weekend, we put our bums to seats on the couch and take in an array of games across a variety of sports. The talk of the water cooler on a Monday morning consists of more than just Joe Canning and Kieran Donnelly's exploits, but a vast list of sports stars. This is significant. As a nation, we have introduced legislation in the past decade to rectify past mistakes or to simply move with the times. And sport is no different. The curtain devil era put over the state of the 1930s to keep foreign influences away in the bid to be uniquely Irish has been well and truly cut down. This generation has managed to hold on to those core GA values and Irish values while still embracing what the world has to offer sports-wise. And that's simply marvellous. And that's Liam Kelly O'Rourke on the Soapbox this week. Thanks for that Liam. Well at Leopard Sound yesterday and today was the Dublin Racing Festival it was called and it certainly was that a festival and a half for uh, for Willie Mullins as we hear now from Bear Scott. Yes Nicky uh, Willie started off the festival yesterday with four winners and went one better today when he actually landed five including of course the uh, Irish Gold Cup so it was another big day for the Mullins I'll give you the full results, starting with the one ten. Nicky, the winner here was number eleven. Heaven help us, sixteen to one. Second was number seventeen, Global Equity, nine to one. Third, number nine, Tell us something, girl, six to one. And fourth here was number eight, Lady Brifney, at seven to one. The beaten favourite was number three and twenty ran. The one forty. This went to number three, Galixias, the six to four on favourite. Second was number four, St. Sam, 15 to 2 and 7 ran. 2.10, the winner here was number one, appreciated, 3 to 1 on favour, 
second number two, Bally Adam, and third number three, uh, Blue Roar, that's 14 to 1, 16 ran. It's who farted the winner was number 24, Maze Runner, at 40 to 1. Second was number 8, Unexpected Depth, 10 to 1. Third, number 10, Damalist, 6 to 1. And fourth home here was at number 20, uh, Julie Stowe, 13 to 2. The beaten favourite was number 18. Numbers 1 and 14 were nine runners and 22 ran. The 3 o'clock, the winner was number 9, Monkfish, 2 to 1 on favour. Second, number 7, Latest Exhibition, 7 to 2. And third, number 1, Andy Dufresne, 11 to 1. Number 4 was a non runner and 8 ran. 340, the Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup went to number 2, Kenby, 11 to 4, winning it for the second time. And second here was number 5, The Storyteller, 20 to 1. Beaten favourite was number 4, Manila Indo, and 5 ran. The 410. Went to number seven, off your go, ten to one. Second number six, Manila Times, fifteen to two. Third was number sixteen, Live Love Last, twenty-eight to one. And fourth one was number five, Farkas, the four to one favourite, and twenty-two ran. Finally, the bumper was won. Uh, surprise, surprise by Willie. <laughs> number seven, Grangey. You wouldn't believe eighteen to one. Second was number ten, Arty Centre. 10 to 1 and third was number 6 Brandy Love the 11 to 10 on favours and 11 Ryan an 18 to 1 winner for Willie Mullins wouldn't would you see that too often Bear? they wouldn't and of course he had a 40 to 1 winner would you believe in the handicap world like, you know that it's not always the, the, the obvious I one I see that there yeah yeah. yeah you know he's an unbelievable man and he had a hot favourite in the bumper actually finished third with uh it looked like Gordon Elliott was going to snatch it away from inside the last furlong. The next thing, Grangey comes out of nowhere. Um, our town and sister riding Grangey and got up on the line to beat uh, Party Centre at 18 to 1. So that was a bit of a surprise. But the boogies wouldn't mind them winning with an 18 to 1. Absolutely shot. not. And Barry, you know we have a couple of fairly guys here in the studio on the team and the sports team here were fairly handy about the horses. And I was reading their WhatsApps today. And they were mentioning the first race there, the Irish uh, Stallion Farms, Paddy Mullins, Mayor's Handicap Hurdle, and particularly because the winner there was trained by Paul Hennessy, and I understand he was very emotional at the end of the race, I suppose, given the fact that, uh, you know, it was the race was called after uh, Pad- the Paddy Mullins and the Mullins' yeah, name. I, I, yeah, that's true. They're, they're very great out there, the Mullins as I'm Paul. They, they get on very well, you know. Now, I have to say, Nicky, we highlighted that one on the programme yesterday at... Uh, between 12 and half 12, we told people that she was running. She had finished seventh in the um, Supreme Novices in Cheltenham last year and had a terrible run and still finished seventh. And I reckon that form was put... And yesterday she was actually 33 to 1, and she won a 16 to 1. There anyway. you go. There you go. All right, Bert, thanks for that. God bless. Take, take care, Bert. OK, that was Bert Scott. Uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be back shortly. The Voice of the Black and Amber, Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. 
Chadwick's Kilkenny and Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM for Top Class Sport. Yes, you're very welcome back to Top Sport. We're heading to 20 to 7 now. We'll be with our special guest uh, Joe Bradley in, a, in a, just a couple of moments but good to see that the Kilkenny ladies football adult team are on the comeback trail this afternoon. Liam Kelly O'Rourke spoke to Seamus Knox, the chairman. Great to see them back and uh, we wish them well and we send our congratulations to two uh, recent students from Kilkenny uh, from St. Kieran's College. Uh, Peter McAvoy came fourth and Shea McAvoy came tent in the NCAA Regional Cross Country Championships on Saturday in Kansas and Shea also picked up the 2020 Freshman of the Year Award. So there's two young guys we hopefully see uh, starring for Ireland in the not too distant future. Before we go to Joe, at the moment there is a special campaign on called Changing Gears with the Kenny County Board and they've asked some well-known personalities to comment on how they're, how they're behaving or what they're doing during lockdown. Here is what our former star Tommy Welch is doing and we'll go to Joe after that. Hello, Tommy Welch here. What do I do during lockdown for mental health and, and well-being? So the first thing I try and do is I try and... I'm working at home since March, so I try and leave the house every day during lunchtime, go into the fresh air for an hour. It's very difficult to do. You can get into the habit of just sitting at your desk eating a sandwich. No, I like to get out. It freshens you up and you definitely get a lot more work done during the day. And second of all, then every evening I try and get outside as well. And I think outside is the key, especially with computers, sky, television, everything really nowadays. You could stay inside for probably a month you never have to leave the house so it's very important to get outside and meet people and I know during the, the lockdown we can't meet people you can definitely get outside so that's physically I suppose trying to get out walking and doing that really a few pucks game of soccer uh, off the wall and the other side of things I suppose on the mental side of things like to stay positive you could get surrounded in negative stuff at this time of the year especially and definitely not getting to meet many people so like to stay positive and when I'm talking to people on the phone I like to talk to people maybe that are good positive people energetic enthusiastic uh, definitely puts you in a better form so that's my tips for getting through lockdown well that's what our uh, multi-talented all-star hurler with multiple all-earner medal winners is doing and Joe Brawley good evening to you how are you coping during lockdown it's hard to imagine Tommy Walsh living in captivity (laughs) (laughs) When, when, when we think of Tommy we think of that sort of heroic force of nature on the hurling field so yeah. natural and so so ferocious and things I'm talking about you know sitting behind a desk it, it just doesn't seem right yeah and I suppose we've we've all had to adapt Joe Joe going back to your early days and, and, and we know that you were um, tell us where you're from I know where you're from but tell the listeners where you grew up well I, I was born in Dungiven uh, and my, uh, my my grandmother probably always said that that, uh, that it was my birth that, that started the troubles <laughs> in, uh, in June 1969 and uh, so I was born into a town where you know very very quickly the entire town was was on board with the the struggle and uh, so you know the the TV license man was banished and had his van burned out you know the the council stopped coming uh, the the Ulster buses were all burnt uh, burnt to the ground down in the bus station because they were called Ulster bus. All the phone boxes were burnt because. Uh, okay, you grew up in in Dungiven, and clearly it was a, a difficult time. I was ding dong, you know, and then at that stage it was just it was killing football and uh, the troubles, and obviously you know like many 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 communities that got in the north, it made us pull together. You know, we became a very united, very nuclear community. You know, and it was no coincidence that sort of 22, 23 years later, Ulster teams started winning All-Ireland Football Championships. 
you know, and that was so we had a very uh, tight, united community. I remember remember one time the boys came up from the village, Brian Cody and and, and Fan Larkin and Eddie Karen all came up, and there was a there was a big night in the club because we had a very strong link, as you know, Dungiven had a of very course. strong link. I'll be I'll, and I'll be coming in. I'll be coming on in a moment to who the individual and the big link is. Aye, aye. But anyway, there was a big night in the club, and my mother and father were singing. And the at that stage, it was a sort of a recreational pastime in the town to bomb the Ministry of Agriculture building, and a huge explosion went off in the middle of the, of the festivities. You see, and dust came showering down, and all the Kilkenny lads hit the ground, and the lights went off. You see, and my father from the stage shouted to Eugene, asked him to go out and check. You see what had happened, and Eugene came back, and he says, "It's only the Ministry of Agriculture." <laughs> And the music resumed. <laughs> very, very good. Okay. <laughs> and everything went back to normal. So it was very, you know, it was the... But for us, you see, it became, it became very normal. Like, my father was in, in prison for a number of years. And uh, really, you know, because there were so many other people with similar experiences. And... Uh, and that it, it didn't it didn't seem like a like a deprivation. Of you course. Know, but I mean, I, I do think as I'm getting older, I I uh, I see you know now how dysfunctional it all was and how really atrociously the the the, the British government you know ably assisted by by the the Protestant Parliament in the North. Of course. I mean, in the idea that sort of fifteen hundred men would be taken away without trial and kept in a prison camp, a very basic camp. Um, for years, I mean, my father was taken away. He wasn't charged with anything. He was never tried. You know, and that was uh, that was that was home. obviously that was obviously in Long Cash. Aye, that was Long Cash. You know, and then uh, we just got a, f- a phone call to the next door neighbour. We didn't have a phone. Big fellow Don Semple knocked the door and he said, "Anne, you have to go and pick up Francie." That was three years after he'd been taken. Gee, yeah. So people, you know, uh, you know. So the important thing I think is is, is that we should never ever forgive the British. <laughs> one of the big names, yeah. One of the big names in your in the Dungiven Club, of course, is a man who's well known down here in Kilkenny. Was Liam Hinfrey, of course, you're related and all that. He was a larger, he's a, or he still is a larger than life person. Yes. He, he, well, you see, Liam, uh, he, he was related. He was he was related to the Hawkeys, you know, Charlie Hawkey. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And and Liam's father was in the. Liam's father was in the uh, the guards, as I recall it, and then he he came north at one point in time, and then he met my aunt Mary Kay, and uh, they 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 married, and Liam really was the he then planted the seeds of hurling and Dungiven, and very very quickly, you know, by 1972 we we had a team in the Fila, um, we 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 had a great tournament every year where. You know, great teams. Like I mean, I remember Eddie Kerr staying in our house when I was a child. Of Brian course. Cody. Yeah. Um, Brian Brian Cody actually. You're you're you're. you're I, it always embarrasses him when I remind him of this, but he courted my aunt Sheila Burke <laughs> uh, during one of those uh, times when he came up, and he was so taken by her that he missed the bus. He was supposed to be going on the All Star trip, and he missed the bus to the airport. And uh, I mean, can you imagine how the course of history would have changed if if if, if Brian Cody had ended up living in Dungiven? There you go. Now, <laughs> in 1993, Joe was obviously a, a year that's very much marked in your mind, uh, winning the All Ireland and uh, Eamon Coleman at the helm. That, that was just an incredible achievement for the county. And and you look back with fond memories, I'm sure, on that year in particular. Well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't overstate it. Uh, I think that. 
you know, I thought, like, you have one on Ireland, so you don't know yourself. We, we knew we were good enough, and therefore, you know, there was nothing miraculous around it. Like, we, we had four national leagues. We, we, we were there and thereabouts for three or four years. You know, we were extremely disappointed by a few narrow defeats in Ulster. And, of course, it was knockout football then. But we knew that we were good enough to win in All-Ireland because Down had beaten us in a replay and gone on and won in 91. And then Donegal beat us by a point or two in the Ulster final. And so by 93, we were ready. And and we had the correct level of fanaticism. You know, everyone was fanatical about it. And the training sessions were ferocious. And then we had Henry Downey, who was a sort of a Roy Keane figure in the centre of things. You know, who if you put him through a series of skill tests, he would be unremarkable. But on the field, he was... A, I mean, he, there was nothing like Henry Downey. And, you know, it's no coincidence that it, his tiny club, Lavi, went on to become the All-Ireland Senior Club football champions as well. Because every team that he was involved with, he drove them on. And, you know, he, he created that fanatical atmosphere which as you know is the only way to win an Absolutely. Mean, people talk about, I mean I give out about me oh, the reason I give out about them is because I always say well they're not serious they're not serious about one another they're not fanatics they don't play like fanatics and they don't all commit to the cause the way you must do so the pleasing thing about winning an All-Ireland for me was that we 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 had a, a, a group a very very honest group who gave everything for the cause and uh so that's the pleasing thing to look back on. And when you look at Gaelic, yeah, when you look at Gaelic football today now, and we we read you every week in the in the uh, Independent, of course, and I know you're in the uh, the Gaelic Life and in the Gaelic paper in you in Belfast as well. Joe, do you despair of given? I mean, I know you are a huge admirer of Dublin, and who wouldn't be? But do you despair for Gaelic football at the moment that Dublin well, have built well, such a gap? I don't despair because you know my father used to say, well, look, all Ireland's are for Kilkenny and Kerry. Who's now you would say they're for Kilkenny, Limerick, and and, and 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 Dublin, but you know I think that there were two very destructive things that happened to Gaelic football. The most destructive was the advent of the GPA and a movement towards a, 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 a you know because they drove on professional standards. They drove on professional standards on and off the field and encouraged the game towards that. You know, huge backroom teams. You know, as Derry Donnelly said a few years ago, but the Derry, there were 16 people in the Derry backroom team when we could relegate it. They said the only thing we don't have on it is a gynecologist. And so you had the GPA driving that on and the game becoming extremely serious, extremely professional, um, and and therefore a lot of the fun going out of it. And a lot of the time the players would have devoted the past to the fun sides of it and, you know, the, the camaraderie and the skills and all of that that all started to change and it became more of a job, more of a chore. And you can see that. And the other very destructive thing that happened was Tim McGuinness, who, although it was a miraculous triumph for Donegal, it, it, it did huge damage to the game, the idea of zonal defending, which, of course, can be very successful, but very difficult to watch. So as a spectacle, you know, Gaelic football has suffered. And, and then I think also that because it has become more job-like, a wide lot of the fun and spontaneity has gone out of it. And you can see that if you look at the game, how it's developed in the last decade. You know, a much more serious, worthy endeavour. Um, a lot less fun than there used to be. A lot less shocks. You know, the spontaneity has gone out of it to a very, very large extent. And I think that if the lockdown has taught us anything, it's less training, more games, much shorter season. You know, let players have, ha, ha, have an off-season and have a life. 
and and stop sort of throwing good money after bad. Yeah, you know, and, county board need to go and, back and, to their primary role of the health of the game in the county. Yeah, and, and your leaves from Dublin. You're obviously in favour of them, and I think most people probably are, and think they're glad to see the. And I know the pandemic maybe makes it makes it uh, this a bit tricky for a period. But the notion of the split season, where you're going to have the intercounty for half the year and the club for the other half of the year, roughly speaking, uh, you 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 agree with that concept, Joe? Yeah, I mean, look, we've all known for years, I and mean, I've argued for 15 years that the season is ridiculous and becoming more and more burdened, you know, by fixtures that are meaningless. I mean, you know, you've got the McKenna Cup and the FPD League and things like that, you know, and uh, I mean, the old joke was up here, you know, that not even the McKennas go anymore. And you have those competitions throughout January and February then. There's no gap for players. You know, there's no proper time for clubs to enjoy their county players and so we've seen in Derry for example where the club game was sacrosanct we've seen a situation where because the county players aren't playing for their clubs any longer people aren't going to see the club teams because they go to see their best players and they say well what's the point you know if the whole hardship out of the team you know if you can't go and see Henry Downey or you can't go and see you know Anthony Tohill playing what's the point whenever we were playing we played all our club games you know and it was a very healthy balance and so the idea of shortening the season is a no-brainer. I mean, you know that yourself, Nick. I mean, yeah. you were you were part of the the, the group that. That, uh, that we're looking at all of that. Yeah, no, no, I'd, I'd agree. I think, look, something, something had to give, and uh, I, I'm not sure it's going to be plain sailing and all that. You mentioned the GPA there a moment ago, and they're now looking for a, another uh, chief executive, and uh, I would think, as, as somebody who was very much at the table when the first discussions took place, and obviously I won't say it on air, but I know some of the things were said across the table to me, and uh, some of the disagreements I had, but at the end of the day, I, I just feel the GPA maybe have gone into a bit of a cold the sack at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, the 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 idea of some better player welfare was certainly a sensible one, and the GAA, instead of dealing with that, you know, and 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 uh, you know, you know, being seen to be open and generous, they they allowed the GPA eventually to dictate terms. The, the GAA sort of were powerless. And they just they just allowed it to happen, you know. And often that's a problem with the GA. We're very, very, very reactive and extremely conservative. You know, look how long it, it's taken a pandemic to get, to get us serious about shortening the season, you know. And we've seen how much joy we got from the club season last year. And from, so we've been very reactive about that. But it, it's looking extremely hopeful the, the moves that are starting to be made. You know, the GPA. The reality is of the GPA that they don't serve any other function other than to, to advance the cause of professionalism. You know, everything's about suit partners and food partners and, you know, it's all about money and requests for more money and, you know, it is extremely elitist and it's very difficult to see what place a private limited company, which is entirely commercial in its outlook, has inside an amateur association. I mean, no. it doesn't make any sense. Joe, you... it's, it's completely unprincipled. You know, and uh, I, 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 I think that, you know, it's also soul-destroying. I mean, uh, my my feeling always was that Dermot Early would leave very quickly because it would be soul-destroying for him. You know, now, I, can't, I, I don't know, he's never actually said that, but he was there for such a short period of time. And, you know, I have to say, I've been very, very disappointed in the most recent CEO in, uh, you know... 
Joe, can There's I talk no to you? There's no sense of yeah. solidarity. The DPA has no sense of solidarity with the GAA people. Okay. That's my big problem. Joe, you come from a... You, out of step with us. You come from a part of the country that has arguably the best provincial club or inter-county football championship, the Ulster Championship. But are we really at the stage where the provincial system is no longer fit for purpose for the GA? I think so. I mean, the, the, you know, you, what you can do, of course, you see, the problem, as you know, is political. Like, you start to try and break down the provincial councils and say, well, look, we're not going to need provincial councils. Well, there's just going to be warfare. And it's difficult to see how that can be achieved, given how overly democratic we are in many ways. You know, we're just, we're not light enough to make decisions quickly. And how do you get rid of the provincial councils? So let's, let's start with the proposition that the provincial councils stay. I still think you could run off a knockout provincial championship, and then you could go into then you could go into your All Ireland series. You know, get rid of all those subsidiary competitions. You know, query whether you'd have a league that would simply be to to seed you for the championship to come. I mean, there there are a load of imaginative suggestions, all of which would work. Joe, you're um, now you're now living in to... you're now living in Belfast, and you're attached to the St Bridges Club, a venue that I actually officially yeah. opened. Uh, in, you were there that particular day. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, you had a you had a well-known <laughs> member of the, uh, uh, the that unionist uh, minister that was there that day uh, wasn't particularly happy to be there, was he? He wasn't. You know, I, I sp- well, you, you know, had words with him, I think, didn't you? You I'm, had words with him. Well, I, I shook his hand in advice. I held his hand. You know, and I welcomed him and welcomed him. Oh God. You could see him trying to get away and TV cameras were on it. But, you know, I've spoken to Gregory before and actually I, I debated with him recently, well, some years ago, you get it on video at uh, the Queen's, the Belfast Festival at Queen's. And, you know, it's it's so uh, dispiriting to see that sort of bigotry. You know, I mean, just at the weekend, he was tweeting about, you know, how ridiculous it was to see now, there were five black gospel singers in the BBC final of the, the BBC gospel singing, uh, you know, competition. Uh, you know, he said, like, this BLM thing has gone to extremes, you know, and there were three black judges, etc., etc. You know, and that's the level of representation that the Protestant community gets in the North. You know, we see, for example, that the the DUP have, have uh, loudly championed Brexit simply because they thought it would rub... Catholics' noses in it, simply because they would be triumphalist and, you know, they didn't take into account the real politics of it or the suffering that there is in the in the poverty-stricken Protestant areas of the North. And I've had this out with countless Unionist politicians about how they sort of, it's a bit like the Republican Party in America, they use this rhetoric uh, to disguise the fact that they're not doing the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. You know, and then they cloak it all with God and all of that stuff. You know, um, I mean, I suppose it's, it's it's not a surprise given that they they were born sort of uh, as a result of one of the most thunderous evangelical preachers Western Europe has ever seen. Ian Paisley. Okay, well, and he was an absolutely renowned bigot. Like, I mean, people in the south just wouldn't believe some of the stuff that goes on up here. Sure. All just, right. I mean, Okay, Joe. Unfortunately, the time has caught us up, and I'd love to say talk to. I'd love to talk to you for another hour because you're a great conversationalist. We will find some reason to get you on the phone again and talk further on that. So, Joe, thank you for taking time out to chat to me this evening here. And and, and can I just say, can can I can I just say that you know I cannot tell you, and in the Dungiven community, every time uh, Kilkenny are in, in a big championship game, we all crowd into the club and we cheer Kilkenny to the rafters. And can I just say that one of the great glories. 
and I mean this sincerely, and I've written it before, of Irish life and the Kilkenny hurlers and the way they play and the way they give it everything. And a special mention to their semi-final against Limerick last year, which I thought was one of the most incredible performances of heroism and manliness that I've seen. Grant. So, Joe, great to talk to you, and I'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Okay, that's Joe Bradley. We're out of time. Joe Burden is coming up next at 7 o'clock with the best in country and Irish. Thanks to all our contributors this evening and a bit rushed, but never. We'll talk again next Sunday evening. So on it was